Hello, and welcome to the Sales Compensation Experience Podcast, the ultimate destination for everything about sales compensation design and administration. This is where the complex becomes clear, where theory meets practice, where dark arts meet science. On the experience, we promise to keep things insightful, professional, and let's admit it, just a touch irreverent. So whether you're designing, administering, or getting paid on a sales compensation plan, we've got you covered. So buckle up, because it's time to get experienced. Well, we've got a topic today I'd like to get into, and that topic is how do companies know if their sales compensation plan is working, if it's effective, and what metrics should they be tracking to better understand that? That's a big, that's a big nut. Yeah. So I think let's start off with maybe how do we see most companies doing this today? I think there's certainly some common practice that we've run into. I'm pretty, we'll either say bearish or negative on what I've seen. Um, but let's talk about like how do, why do most companies think about whether the comp plan is working or not? Well, you know, my experience, Justin, a lot of people and companies that have sales organizations and a material sales comp expense, they think about it a lot. But what they do um, can, you know, depend, right? And a lot of organizations, sadly, don't do much other than speculating whether the plan works as it should. I think part of that has to do with a lack of agreement on what is good. What does good look like? So what will we point to to assess the degree to which the plan is working well, working phenomenally, or way off track. And that really gets to the, the metrics. You know, what are the metrics that we're going to use to assess the health of the plan? And then benchmarks or, you know, indices to get, you know, senses the, the degree of success or, or problem. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, similar experience and i think the term that i've used again and again is that what i see companies doing is just relying upon gut feel of you know how do they you know, emotionally feel like the plan is working or not and then the different stakeholders will bring um you know their lens kind of what they want out of the plan to the table and focus in on something that's, you know, tailored towards what they want, you know, from an outcome of the plan design. And sometimes people bring data to the table and sometimes people don't. It's just a, this is what I think, you know. I've, I've heard many uh, sales leader over the years say, hey, I can't recruit uh, at the level of pay that we have in the plan. And I've heard many a finance leader come in and say, hey, we need to, you know, uh, pay less, get more from the plan while paying less, you know, improve that ratio in some way, shape, or form uh, with maybe not even tracking it, right? It's just kind of they they want to do better. So I think directionally, people have an idea of where they want to head, uh, but I don't see a lot of people putting that rigor in place 
whether it's technology or ad hoc, um, to really think about where do they stand today and where do they want to be with the sales compensation plan. I'll so agree. is now before we get into the what are some of the metrics people could look at, is there a benefit to doing it? Is it worthwhile for companies to put something in place? Yeah, well, that's a function of the uh, degree of the expense. And, you know, you and I work with companies that uh, tend to have a, you know, pretty material expense or line item associated with sales compensation. Um, so, yeah, certainly, you know, if it's, uh, you know, 20, 30% of the, uh, of the expense and, Particularly if a big chunk, which it usually is, is variable expense, and it's critical to manage that well. Yeah, this falls into one of those categories of you have to get it right. Uh, I think oftentimes people will have annual sales compensation plans in a lot of the, the industries that we work with. And I think there's also this philosophy that once the, once the plan's in place, people are going to let it run and you know maybe fill in the gaps through uh, spiffs or sales contests, but they're not going to fundamentally make a lot of changes to the plan throughout the year. And so you're betting a lot of money uh, for a long period of time. Uh, you better, in my opinion, you better have some gauges and, and dashboards and, and metrics in place to monitor whether it's working or not. And, and do you need to course correct uh, throughout the plan period? Yeah. Yeah. All and right. I, I think that there, you know, are a lot of, uh, practitioners, you know, compensation, finance, sales ops that are increasingly growing concerned about this where it wasn't really an issue before. The company's growing double digits and the focus is really just on incremental growth. There's not a lot of attention paid to expense or, you know, operating margin because, hey, relatively speaking, money's cheap or, you know, was right a year and a half ago. But now there's far more attention paid to the return on these investments. And I think, you know, for some folks, they're, you know, they're either starting from scratch in terms of, okay, how are we going to evaluate the return on this investment? Or, you know, they're dusting off their, their playbooks, right, to uh, now kind of revisit this important topic of, uh, of plan effectiveness and, uh, and compensation ROI. Yeah, very first CEO I had the chance to report to, one of his slogans that I've carried with me throughout my career is, revenue growth solves all problems. Uh, as long as you're growing, you know, top line really fast, you don't necessarily have to have the best run company in the world uh, and be minding, you know, the basis points and the pennies behind some of these expenses. But in mixed economic times, tough economic times, uh, certainly the cost of investment has, has went up uh, from an interest perspective. Operational excellence becomes a little bit more important um, organizationally, top to bottom. And the idea that if we can eke out incremental improvements from things like the sales compensation plan, well, then, yeah, I think the ROI and, and the payoff is certainly there in a, in a pretty rapid fashion. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, what? So, one other item before we kind of dig into the the metrics that we think folks should look at. And again, from a common practice standpoint, I think when people do a a, a sales compensation plan analysis, what's working, 
what's not working. Oftentimes I see people will do this once a year. Kind of they've kicked off a, a plan design project or initiative. They come to the table with different stakeholders. They kind of give their opinion on what's happening. And they start to do some analysis of, of the plan. Um, but oftentimes they'll just jump right into the you know ideas for the future and and get into that kind of heavy modeling costing uh, iterations. But I don't see a lot of companies doing this on a continuous basis. Is that your experience as well? Yeah, it is. And traditional thinking is that, you know, when we were talking about assessing the plans, trying to determine what's working well, what's not working well, and therefore what needs to be changed, there's this like window of opportunity. Again, the traditional thinking is, right, that you've got to have enough uh, time and experience under the current plan to be able to understand how well it's working. Um, but at the same time, you don't have a lot of time before needing to design those changes and get them implemented. Right. So for a lot of organizations, you know, you're talking like, you know, four to six weeks, right. To turn this around. And, um, it's a lot of work, you know, in a, a big organization, sometimes even smaller ones. So, um, I think it's a problem to try to compress this activity into a relatively narrow window. Um, and also, you know, to think that you can be good at it if you only do it once a year. Sure. I think there's probably some lessons learned from industries that have a more frequent uh, planning cycle, um, you know, whether it's retail or, you know, some folks that do B2C type business where they're con constantly refining, um, you know, how they're, how they're incentivizing and paying folks to sell. I think a lot of the experience that I have is in, you know, the B2B world where it is this, there's a little bit more time, but given that little bit more time, maybe there's not uh, the repeatability and the rigor put up against it. And it's more ad hoc. And this idea of how good can you be at something uh, that's done in an ad hoc fashion versus something that you're doing in a more continuous basis. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, with, you know, large, complex B2B sales organizations, um, you know, that are doing big deals, right? Big strategic deals. A lot of times Q4, you know, that's that's the period of push. So going into the quarter and trying to have a good picture of how well the plan worked when, you know, maybe 40% of the sales hasn't even come in yet, is uh, it's a bit of a tall order. Yeah. Okay. So I've always been a fan of Peter Drucker uh, from a management perspective. And there, there's a quote that I've always thought he said. And when I looked into it in preparation for the, the show, there's some debate whether he actually said it or not uh, from the, the Peter Drucker Institute. But the, but the quote is that people say is, you know, what gets measured gets managed. And the full quote is what gets measured gets managed, even when it's pointless to measure and manage it. And even if it harms the purpose of the organization to do so. So I think, you know, my takeaway from that quote is what you measure is important. And I think when it comes to sales compensation, you should 
be selective about the things that you are monitoring and the metrics that you're looking at to determine if the plan's working or not. And if you pick the wrong things to measure about the plan, uh, you will certainly try to improve upon those things, but they may not be the things that particularly matter. So yeah. I think the metrics we wanted to go through today are the ones that we feel like, uh, again, companies should take a look at and focus on because they are the ones that should be managed to and that, that do matter. Uh, there's obviously, you know, an endless array of things that people could measure. And sure. we'd certainly like to hear, you know, people's opinions if we miss the market off. There's some things that we don't share, don't talk about, uh, some critical things that you measure at your organization in terms of sales effectiveness. You know, we'd love to get that feedback as well and share that with uh, the audience in the future. All right. Scott? And it sounds like a good question for our chat GPT bot. Yeah. I mean, we you know, could, why... We could throw that in there. Yeah. What... Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to jump into chat GPT real quick. If you wanted to tee up, what do you think is one of the number one metrics that people should be uh, checking or monitoring? Well, I, for me, it's the tip of the iceberg measure, which is compensation cost of sale or the percent of your revenue or bookings, you know, whatever your monetary metric is for sales um, that is spent on, on sales compensation. And, you know, that's the inverse of ROI. And looking at that, tracking it, seeing the trend over time, having good benchmarks, I think is, you know, a, a critical way to kind of set the stage. Um, you know, if you're seeing that ratio move in an unfavorable direction, then you've got to, you know, start looking under a number of different rocks. So I, I've said repeatedly that it's akin to a check engine light on a car. It doesn't tell you what's wrong. It just tells you that something is wrong. And it's very comprehensive because you're dealing with both sides of the same coin. You know, one being your, your expense, which is compensation. The other being your, your productivity or revenue. Let's, I want to dig into that one just a little bit. What is the actual formula that people should be looking at? Is it total expense for the sales organization? Is it when they're, when they're doing like a modeling and costing, is it at on target earnings? Is how you come up with your initial ratio? Are you looking at actual? Is it just a variable piece? Is it the base piece? Like, how do people do the math on this one? Yeah. I think part of what guides the particular approach, and there are different approaches, as you alluded to, has to do with your, um, your benchmark. Um, so if you're looking at competitive practice, there are a few reliable sources uh, you know, for earlier stage uh, tech companies, the, uh, you know, key bank uh, analyses, um, it, it, it used to be Pacific Crest, but, um, you know, th that's a good one, right? And they, they have a particular methodology that they use. Radford, you know, which I'm, I'm very familiar with, uh, no longer affiliated with, but, you know, there the denominator was revenue and the logic was, that you know, revenue is for for many of the companies that are using the index. Um, you know, it, it's publicly available information, so it's a little difficult to fudge on that. 
Um, <laughs> even though the sales organization may not be responsible for all of that revenue, but at least it's an apples to apples. You're comparing across companies. And then on the numerator, there are a few different ways of calculating compensation, but the, you know, the variable piece is probably most interesting. So that would be the incentive and it's the total incentive that's paid to the sales organization or those people and those jobs that are on the sales comp plan. So that can get, you know, a little nuanced, right? But again, I I would use as a starting point, okay, what are other companies using and that are third parties reporting on so that we have, you know, we have an industry benchmark for this. For this particular metric, does it, I, th I think I, I have my opinion, right? I feel like this falls into what I'll call one of the Goldilocks problems where you're looking for directionally, which way is it heading? And is there a reason behind that direction? But you don't necessarily want it to be ultra low nor do you, you know, obviously you don't want it to be ultra high, but I think people always think about if the compensation cost of sales is too high, we've got a problem. Is there the case where the compensation cost of sales can be too low, right? Ca causing a different problem in my mind, recruiting, retention, um, you know, stress, and maybe, you know, the idea of lack of focus for the sales force if you're underpaying them relative to, to the market. Are you trying to find that sweet spot for a compensation cost of sales? Like you said, use the benchmarks to kind of know directionally where you should be at? Yes. Yeah. And I think the value there is, um, you know, speaks to the value of just benchmarks in general, right? Is that it provides you some context. And, um, you know, if you're get, getting out of some comfortable range, then, uh, you know, you, you start to prioritize action. But in addition to that, you know, and why I think this particular metric of compensation cost of sale is important is because it it does um, stimulate awareness around what drives the ratio. And again, it's a comprehensive measure. I mean, a lot of times the company is focused almost exclusively on expense. And mm -hmm. so if, uh, okay, you know, we're going to expand the target comp range for a particular job or we're, you know, adding headcount in a particular, all the focus is on expense, but these are for jobs that are responsible for generating incremental revenue. So you've got to look at, again, both, both sides of the equation. So that's why I think the metric is of value, you know, the, the, the indexing, you know, whether it's just a time series or you're looking at competitive practices, that's important, you know, to kind of understand as to, okay, is this a problem? Do we pay attention to this now or can we put it off for a couple quarters? And then it's what I think is most important and probably least understood is, okay, what do we do about it? So, you know, I have, I've had multiple CFOs for companies I've worked for say, hey, the ratio of our expense is increasing disproportionately disproportionately, right? That it's going up faster than our increase in revenue is. Um, so why? Why is that? And what do we do? And so that's where you've really got to, you know, dig in and, you know, understand what is driving the number. What What is limiting sales 
or productivity and what is increasing compensation or expense. Yeah. I'll, th I'll throw out a second one. And I kind of, you know, generically called it sales growth. But I think more specifically when I say that, um, what I mean is whatever the goal of the plan was, you should be tracking that. And sales growth, I think, is an often, you know, a common goal for a lot of different plans. But if the, you know, the core goal behind the plan was to increase market share, if it was to increase customer satisfaction, if it was to increase uh, add-on revenue, whatever the goal going into the year was for the plan, track that, right? Have a, have a, a dashboard or a report that shows you, are you achieving what you set out to do? I think it, in my mind, though, that creates a different discussion is when you go into a plan design project or initiative, to really have some clear articulated goals of what do you want to get out of the comp plan. If it's to do something like improve rep retention, if that's the number one goal that you want out of your comp plan, well, then your metric should be rep retention. Uh, but I call it sales growth because I think that the vast majority of comp plans I work with, people are trying to grow a company, bring revenue into the door in one, one way, shape, or form, whether it's that new, uh, existing recurring in some way, shape, or form, but uh, to measure, put a measure in place against the core metric for the plan and the goal of the plan. Yeah, let, let's not forget, you know, why we're doing this in the first place, right? We're trying to grow sales. And, you know, it, it's, it's that metric. It's one of the reasons why I like the concept of spiffs because, you know, it's very specific, right? We're trying to do something that might otherwise be ignored. And you've got this one measure, hopefully, you know, that, that you can track and you're, you know, spending money to get attention on this and hopefully grow sales. And, you know, that provides you the basis of some pretty clear accounting or should. Not to go down a rabbit hole on spiffs. Um, any quick thoughts on should they be self-funding or should they be budgeted part of the overall cost? And, you're, you know, it's an expense or it's a self-funding type of thing or a little bit of both yeah p pity the the leader who doesn't budget it because they're gonna you know have some explaining to do so yes it should be it should be budgeted for sure and well managed you know part of on target earnings should there be in the plan description five percent to be uh tbd well, i don't know about that because that leaves you know the salespeople kind of wondering all right how am i going to earn you know this this part of my my target pay. So I'm not a fan of that. No. So it's on top. You like it on top of the not on top. Yeah. But OTD. it gets the account of frosting. Okay. <laughs> yes. But well managed is the key. So, hey, you know, just as, as we're, you know, talking here, I, I do have some results from chat GPT. Yeah. Uh, let me know. Cause I, I put in a question and I think again with chat GPT, it all seems to come down to this idea of prompt engineering. I'll tell you the question I asked it. Yeah, we can look at the results. You tell me the question you asked it. Let's look at the results, and then I, I can show you mine first. Yeah, then like I guess you know we'll, we're going to go through the ones that we have based upon our experience. But when I pulled it up, I was like, okay, I like the list. Uh, there's a couple there that I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe it didn't quite hit the mark, but it's not too far off what we came up with. Yeah. Well, I um, what'd you ask I'm, it? Yeah, yeah. So what did I ask? 
What are the measures for sales compensation plan effectiveness? Okay. All right. I got back seven. All right. And I'm kind of going through the first, not kind of, I am going through the first three and uh, scratching my head a bit. And, it, you know, I, I understand what they're talking about. But I think if somebody doesn't have experience with this area, um, they can find themselves, you know, going in circles. What I mean by that is, so the first one is sales performance. And I'm reading from what it provided me. One of the primary indicators of successful sales compensation plan is improved sales performance. This can be measured by tracking individual and team sales targets, sales revenue, sales volume, or market share, comparing performance before and after the implementation of the plan can provide valuable insights. Okay. Yeah, that I don't disagree with any of that, um, but it's very vague. And, um, you know, what is sales performance? Going back to our earlier conversation, again, why I like SPIFs is because it's very specific. What they're describing here is very vague. And, okay, good to know. Yeah, if we're assessing the effectiveness of the plan, we should see if it's impacting sales performance. So tough tough to disagree with that one. You know, the mm -hmm. third one was profitability. A well-designed compensation plan should align sales efforts with profitability. Well, not always, and particularly in a high-growth SaaS yes. Organization industry dependent, yeah, yeah. So that one's pretty contextual, you know. And I, I, I would think that <clears throat> might alienate some folks to include that on the list. So this is good directionally. Um, yeah, it really provides um, just some general guidance. So maybe it's a good starting point. I think it is a good starting point. I think that if it'd be interesting to see, maybe try it out real quick. But this idea of if you added that to the prompt of for a high growth industry like SaaS Cloud, what are the metrics and see if that profitability one pops back up or if it gives you, you know, something different for an answer. So I asked it as a CFO, I said, as a CFO, how should I measure the effectiveness of the sales compensation plan? And like the first that. one it came back with was total compensation cost as a percentage of sales. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it even said kind of similar to what I, what I shared was if it's too high, you might be overspending on your sales force. If it's too low, it could demotivate your sales team. So maybe even a little more concisely, uh, than I threw out there. I, th I, I think this like idea of, yeah, or flattened, I'm not sure which. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's confirmation biased or I should feel, uh, uh, worried. <laughs> we might need a new gig. Yeah, but it, it threw in customer acquisition cost. Uh, you know, sales compensation plan is too generous and maybe inflate your CAC. Um, revenue per sales rep, I hadn't thought about that one necessarily on the sales comp perspective, but I think that's interesting. You know, thinking about segmenting out your reps, A, B, C, uh, you know, your high, your middle, your bottom performers. And where I'm going with that is, I've always felt like you can, you know, create uh, a competitive moat around your top performers through sales compensation. I think that your pay philosophy should be differentiated from your your top to your median to your bottom performers, and whether you're trying to attain that through your know, rate table or a payout curve, um, or you know, having different roles and paying people differently that are top performers. 
you know, some way to do that. So, yeah, I think there's some interesting ones in here. They're not, I don't know if I disagree with a lot of them that they, that they threw out. What, what is a competitive moat? I mean, I've got this image of, you know, brackish yeah. with primitive sea creatures, you know, not, not something I want to cross without a bridge. No, nobody wants to, to get chomped up by sea creatures. Um, no, I what, what, did some research at one time and saw some other information from one of the big HR organizations where basically the question was asked to sales reps of what percent of total target pay increase would it take for you to consider jumping ship, right? Taking a new job. And the median answer, you know, the bell curve of response was 7%. Interesting. And so for 7% promise total target earnings, people would think about, you know, consider changing jobs. And so for me, you know, if you have a pay philosophy for your entire organization of saying, hey, we only need to pay at the median of the market, right, to recruit the talent that we need to succeed. There are going to be other companies out there that are going to be, you know, at the 75th percentile, at the 90th percentile, that are going to be certainly attracting the attention of your top performers. And so I've always thought about it a little bit differently of should you have a pay philosophy for your entire sales force or should you be thinking about a pay philosophy for that those top performers, which depending upon your company or industry could be bringing in 10x the revenue of yeah. that next tier of reps. Could be 2x, could be 5x, could be 10x, but they're certainly bringing in a disproportionate share of the revenue. 80-20 Pareto principle, uh, Benioff shared you know, 94% of the revenue from the top 50% of his reps. Uh, why does he need the other 50? As you know, was the question. And, and obviously, you know, they could be on ramp. They could be first year hires. There's all kinds of reasons why you need the other 50. But should you be paying your top performers, you know, in a different way than your bottom performers? And I think you talk you know, anywhere from, I think it was Mark Donnell. I give him credit for the, the phrase reverse Robin Hood principle, but the idea that you're, you know, taking money from the bottom to pay the top, uh, something to keep an eye on, right? From from my perspective, I think that's what I mean by competitive moat. You're paying people enough to where they're not going to constantly be looking for another job. Yeah, yeah, I see. And seven percent is a pretty low, pretty low. It's bar. not much. It's a very low barrier. Yeah, although you know, you're making three hundred grand a year. This is what twenty one thousand. Yeah. It's a couple of nice trips, I guess. Yeah, but it's Mark Mark Danolo, right? Yeah. As okay, just want to make sure. Yeah, he, he can chime in. I'll chime in how I mispronounced his name and, and chastise me for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a, a couple others here, then maybe we close out the chat GPT thing, but that, that I think are, are noteworthy. Um, sales team morale and turnover. Now, you and I think Ooh, about interesting. that. Um, but I don't know that a lot of other people would. Um, so, you know, we're both fans of getting into, you know, the engagement of the salespeople. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's simple ways to do that, right? Try a, you know, net promoter score to what degree, um, you know, what they recommend the plan, right, to a trusted colleague. And then here's one that I think is even more obscure, but I like it and I've actually seen it in practice, customer satisfaction. Yeah. How does your sales compensation approach 
you know, influence the satisfaction of your customers. Um, and I mean, you know, two dimensions, the rep is a customer, I believe, but then there's also the customer customer. And when I worked in uh, the brokerage industry years ago, uh, we, we were careful to disclose to our customers how we were, were paying our investment advisors. And uh, we received feedback through focus groups from customers about their, um, you know, based on their experiences uh, in dealing with, uh, with investment advisors and how they, they believed the compensation approach influenced that experience. So that's uh, customer satisfaction is not one that I would, you know, readily think of as being a measure for sales compensation plan effectiveness. Not sure it's something that a CFO would have on their list. Um, and I'm not sure it applies in a lot of situations, but that, you know, that, that came up on the, the chat GPT yeah, list. Yeah, I, I want to oh. chime in on that one. I think you have to be careful with it, right? And again, tying to sales compensation is interesting because we've talked about on another episode, the idea of you can dial up the aggressiveness of your plan or dial it down, and that's going to deliver uh, a buying experience of some sort. You know, so, and we talked about the idea of somebody's on 100% uh, commission, you're certainly going to get a different buying experience than if somebody is on 100% base pay in a sales role. And and that's why I think most companies will end up somewhere in the middle between those two type of ideas. Yeah. I Last time I bought a car, customer satisfaction was very important to this particular dealership. And I actually asked the rep, is your job contingent on you getting a five down the board or is there just a sizable amount of money in it for you? Because he was selling me as hard on giving him fives down the oh, survey so as he was selling me on buying a new car yeah. and the leasing and the tent and the extended yeah. warranty and all these things. It is he, so he annoying. Pitching hard. And so I knew it had to be something in it for him, uh, you know, type of thing. And so what I actually... Uh, you know, my proposal, instead of just maybe straight customer satisfaction, would be, you know, more of a survey question around, did you get the buying experience that you expected? Rel you know, relative ex expectation versus reality. And as long as you're meeting expectations of the brand and what people expect from the experience, I think you're probably in pretty good shape and the comp plan isn't impacting it. If you're starting to get that feedback where people are coming back and saying, your sales reps are a lot more aggressive than I thought they should be, or you know, or vice versa. They didn't seem as responsive, you know, as I thought they should be. Nobody was running over me to, to be to help me out, you know, to, to respond to different things were slow. Uh, you know, I think there's some action to be taken there. You might want to look at, you know, the the sales managers first, but I think there could be a tie back to to sales compensation there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, you know, Fred Wright called the uh, the you know, father of net promoter scoring, you know, he, he maintained that you should not tie compensation to it because- Keep it, it separate. Yeah, but yeah. is it an indicator if the comp plan is appropriate to the role and the buying experience that people have expectations for, for your industry, your product, your solution? I think there's a tie there some to, to make sure you're not out of whack. Oh yeah, for sure. All right. So there's one- as a consultant, one of the classic analysis that's done is two, I'll throw out there. One, paper performance. 
scatter plot, looking for some kind of tight correlation up and to the right. And then secondarily, just a quota attainment curve. <laughs> Are these metrics people should be looking at in their sales compensation plan? Or did we just invent these as some a way to consume some billable hours and create some some nice visual slides? <laughs> no, I think they're they're very sensible. You know, it, so it gives you a, a basis on which to understand um, or, you know, get at, right? Try to understand what what differentiates one group of people from another that uh, presumably, you know, are operating under the same set of circumstances. So in other words, you know, what? why is it that, you know, the same group of people, let's say, tend to crush their quota, you know, quarter after quarter, year after year. What What is it about those people? And understanding that is important because you want to try to replicate that to other groups of people. Um, so having, I think, that, um, you know, that, that view, right, is important and using histograms are a good way to kind of drill into that. Also, the shape of the curve is important and should be one of those um, criterion, you know, that you use to assess the plan. So what is it that you want? Do you want very wide deviations, you know, in performance across a team mm -hmm. of individuals? Uh, or, you know, do you have more of a team approach and you want a relatively narrow um, you know, difference between, let's say, you know, the 20th percentile performer and the 80th, for example. So just, it's, it can be a powerful visual, um, but you, you have to have a plan for how you want to use it as opposed to just, you know, putting up a bunch of histograms on the page and, um, you know, moving on to the next, to the next page. So you got like with all data, you know, you got to understand how to use it, what you're going to do with it. One of the breakdowns I've done, uh, in the last few years, I'm not sure where I got the idea. There, I always say there's not a lot of novel ideas, right? You saw somebody else or you heard about it and then you you like it, you apply it, it seems to work and, and you keep using it. Um, but I like to break down within the different metrics of the plan, uh, you know, stack bar chart, percentage of income by rep for that particular measure. So by design, you're trying to say, hey, we want to throw... 50% of our variable available at revenue, another 25, you know, at margin, another 25 at, you know, I don't know, product mix. Yeah. C customer satisfaction. Whatever. Is that how the reps are making their money? I'm comparing the design to the actual to say, are people making their money in about that same ratio? Or what we find is the people who are making their money from spiffs and add-ons and, you know, there's an additional services kicker that's not necessarily, you know, part of the, the variable component. You get 2% for services. Are they making their monies in other ways? Yeah. And so to me, it's the idea of is the plan providing the alignment or fo and focus or is the plan allowing too many paths to win and not providing the alignment and focus that we want out of the plan? That's right. And you know, I, I think you're getting at one of the reasons as to why limiting the number of measures in a plan metrics, sources of income is important because with each incremental measure, 
that analysis becomes more and more difficult. And you know, I think of it this way, right? I've done this before. You, you know, ask a number of sales leaders to rank the um, you know, level of contribution of their sales team, you know, from from highest to lowest. And then you have that list, right? And then you compare it to the earnings level, you know, who, who earned the most all down through the list to the person who earned the least and compare those, see how they, they square up. And the more moving parts in the plan, the more metrics that you have, the more unique sources for income, the more deviation you can expect between those two lists of, you know, relative contribution and, and relative pay. Um, so it's important, right? If you have, let's say, a three major plan, which you know a lot of people would say, "Well, that's a you know reasonable, manageable number of measures," to look at. Okay, where's the money coming from, and uh, how does that change across different types of performers, classes of performers? And you know, a lot of times, if you're not keeping an eye on that, you'll find that people are making a lot of money in ways that you really didn't intend for. You know, let's say that you have a new product quota, and that's really just designed to get people focused on a new product. But it shouldn't be, you know, an outsized amount of their income because that could be coming at, at the expense of, you know, the core business. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That's, that's a really important, um, you know, set of measures to, to get your arms around. All right. Well, you said at the beginning, this is a, a deep topic. And a big, uh, you know, something big to take a take a bite at. I think we're almost out of our time uh, together today, so I want to make an offer to people listening. Um, we have created a LinkedIn group called the Sales Compensation Experience. If you want to go join that, I'll post up uh, a list of the metrics we talked about today, the ones we didn't get to today, some of the Chat GPT ideas. And then let's have a discussion. If there's ones that uh, you know we as a, a community think are important, let's bring those up, and we can we can figure out which ones are the most important. Scott and I certainly have our opinions based upon our experience, um, but always open to, to new ideas. That's how we continue to evolve and get better at what we do. Scott, any any last words of advice for people? Maybe if people aren't, if they don't have metrics in place today. To measure the effectiveness of their sales compensation plan, how big of an imperative, how important of an, an initiative should that be to to put something in place? Yeah, well, I'll say it again. I think it's very important if you've got um, you know, let's say fifteen percent or more of your headcount that uh, is in in sales positions and they're on variable pay, and um, I would start by speaking with your your stakeholders, you know, the, the people in your organization that really care about this topic and hearing from them, what, what would they want to look at? What do they point to, to say whether the plan's working as it should? Um, and then try to find a manageable set of metrics so that you're not exhausting your stakeholders with data. Now you're able to keep them focused on, you know, limited set of things that really matter and use the data, right, to really stimulate action to, uh, you know, motivate decisions and uh, prioritize, um, you know, change. That's really what it's all about. I like it. I think that's a, a very practical way to think about it. And if people could put that into practice at their own organization, they're going to be in a better place than they were 
a year ago, let's say, and continue to make improvements into the future uh, based on data-driven decisions versus the gut feel. And that wraps up another episode of the Sales Compensation Experience. Our goal with the experience is not just to share knowledge, but to spark conversations. So don't be shy. If you have feedback, questions, topic ideas we should cover, or a guest you think we should interview, let's continue the conversation at our exclusive LinkedIn private community called the Sales Compensation Experience. We hope you'll join us there. Until then, keep challenging the status quo and never stop learning.